Hello and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Marvin Yao. Each episode, I bring my different business leaders who dream in changing things. And in this, like it was, this is part of my 29 Days of Magic series where I interview a black woman a day for 29 days during Foundation Uh And today's episode, I'm super excited to have Therese Bullet Bailey, who is the founder of Overstand and the Chief Innovation Officer of Forever for Urban World. It's a really incredible life story. It's going to be a great conversation. Listen. Hey, Sharice. Hi, Laura. How are you? Good. How about you? Wonderful. Such an honor and pleasure to be with you in uh, these 29 Days of Magic. Thank you so much for having me. It is my absolute pleasure. I am so delighted that you're going to be part of the conversation this month. So, as you probably know, because you've listened to some of the episodes, first question, always the same, answers, always amazing. And I'm sure yours would be no different. So, Therese, what was your first job? Well, um, so my first job as a New Yorker, uh, I grew up in Brownsville, Brooklyn, and I commuted to the Upper East Side to a girls' school called the Brearley School for Girls. And um, I literally walked into the, you know, job's office or administrative office and got my working papers as as they were officially known back at 14 and signed up for a job at Birthday Bakers Party Makers. It was a boutique birthday party planning agency, also sort of a cake studio and corporate events um, planning agency run by a woman named Linda Kay. And um, I pretty much was a gal Friday. You know, I would um, help plan birthday parties, help facilitate them and um, do some light office work. And this was for me just a phenomenal job to have working and mirroring a woman entrepreneur. Um, incredibly fun hosting parties, mostly kids parties, but some bigger events for corporations and um at the same token, I also started my first uh, internship at 14 at Warner Custom Music, which was part of Time Warner, uh, working in uh, a brand development and strategy unit uh, called Warner Custom Music uh, with a woman named Gabrielle Glor, who has uh, been my mentor for many decades. And I still have the honor of working alongside her uh, in the efforts of Urban World where I currently uh, serve as chief innovation officer. So that is 30 plus years of interning, uh, uh, internship and working for a really powerful women that I think has been really instructive throughout my life. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Uh, we're we're going to get into this. <laughs> so um, how do we want to also score two awesome one internships and jobs at age 14? Like how did you swing this? Well, it was a matter of economics for me, you know, having a job, <coughs> excuse me, really <clears throat> meant um, a chance to have money, autonomy. I was always very entrepreneurial. I've always traveled and done um, amazing summer opportunities. So the job function was doing something I enjoyed, but having a good income for a 14 year old, that is. Um, and the internship was really sort of the point of passion and endeavoring into a field that um, that I had 
complete, um, again, passion and focus around. But I didn't grow up in a family that was an entertainment industry family. My parents um, were really social uh, service leaders, community leaders. Um, my mom uh, worked as a social worker and psychotherapist. My dad uh, in the Department of Parole. And there was no entertainment in any of those areas of, for me to kind of hold on to. So it was just so important to have the internship um, and the role modeling of uh, executive leaders, particularly a, a Black woman leader who I, I worked for, to sort of have a North Star and know that it was possible um, to kind of understand um, the dynamics of building a career um, really with an open path ahead. And so um, I would sort of work this job, you know, hosting these high-end parties and make, you know, enough cash to have all the things I enjoyed as a teenager. But, you know, when I really got to work as an intern, I started understanding how to build a career, particularly uh, a creative career uh, as an executive and as a leader um, that was far beyond anything I was experiencing, you know, on my trek from Brooklyn to, to the Upper East Side at that time. Oh, awesome. So amazing. And like, it's, it's so, I said, I always love when folks um, give their uh, younger jobs as their first job as, as the one that they mentioned, because it always informs so much of who they are right now. Because like, those lessons you learn at that moment come in so handy. It's so incredible. Well, humility is, I think, is, is where it comes down to. I mean, my first uh, job post undergrad, I went to University of Pennsylvania and um, I ended up uh, getting a financial analyst role at Goldman Sachs. And um, this was turn of the century. So over two decades ago, the height of the bull market. And, you know, with all of the goodwill and merit that I invested in, you know, as a young person wanting to be a media mogul, essentially, really wanting to um, sort of emulate the, the great um, women leaders at that time who were um, really um, just leading the path for um, the intersection between entertainment, media, strategy, um, folks like Gabrielle Glor, who I mentioned, Lisa Cortez, Sylvia Rohn, who still is top of her game in the music industry. Um, it was really um, as in my first job at Goldman Sachs that I realized the power of finance and philanthropy in threading together all of those sectors. And in my role, you know, it was a lot of training around um, client service, account management, specifically for hedge funds and other high net worth individuals. And the confidence that you gain from having a financial acumen really does transfer across sectors. And so those early years at Goldman for me were um, completely uh, instructive around how I could use all of those amazing social skills and creative skills that I sort of innately harnessed um, as a very young person in New York. And again, it's not sort of, uh, you know, typical to, to land at a, you know, Warner Music Group or Time Warner and ended up interning at Atlantic Records and Elektra and um, really running book on campus at Penn and producing lots of great concerts and events. Um, but along the way, you realize the financial acumen is really um, 
quite essential for um, just leading an enterprise and also expanding um, impact over time. So those fundamental years for me at Goldman Sachs were extraordinary, amazing to work with great colleagues, great clients, um, but really eye-opening for me and, and what's sort of driven my career path was sort of the, the emphasis on impact uh, and the impact of philanthropy and the power of um, not only sort of the, the utility of finance and, and funding, but the the way that um, traditionally so many groups, particularly women, women of color, um, are excluded from opportunities because of the financial quotient. And so for most of my career, I've really endeavored to build this bridge between um, creators and artists and finance and investment. Um, often I say, you know, the only gap between realizing your creative vision and goal is is often finance. And, and for right, so definitely. many amazing talents, it's definitely not a lack of talent or effort or even network. Um, sometimes it really does come down to financing. And so that um, adaptability, the ease and um, and really the confidence that the training of a Goldman Sachs gives, it really did help um, me to enter new realms throughout my career, which included intermediary funding, um, have been a leader and strategist for many arts nonprofits, particularly helping young um, and emerging and ascending artists uh, to, to realize their goals as storytellers, filmmakers, and onwardly. Uh, and so my path to getting to Urban World and helping to lead this legacy film festival and innovation um, platform has really started and has its roots back, you know, to those earliest opportunities that I held um, looking at um, both the interpersonal workings of creativity, but the impact that uh, storytelling and art has on society and the ability to create change. That's so awesome. And I love how you, you beat my question before I had time to answer that. I was like, how did you get to be here? And like, you just told me. Uh, well, so you know, it's, it. yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, there are definitely a lot of, of turns that are not, you know, in the bio or on the resume, but, you know, as, as I mentioned, just having a career that spans over 20 years, um, I think for me, I always think about um, the long arc of time and coming out of uh, university during, you know, in the year 2000, I graduated at Penn in the year 2000, you know, this was the end of sort of the the traditional music industry as we knew it. Napster was really shifting to um, the digital world that we all know and endure and consuming content these days. So it really was the sort of technological um, breaking point um, that also saw, you know, breakthrough IPOs with tech companies that we all yeah, use today. Humble. Yeah. So being in the mix of, of that level of um, creative expansion and also disruption uh, was truly exciting for me. And a lot of uh, where I devoted my efforts were really in the realm of, again, how do we um, how do we disrupt or bridge um, systems like finance and philanthropy to support the arts, support um, social impact and change? And I think in the past 20 years, we've seen this major shift from 
just really looking at return on investment as the ultimate goal um, towards what I've been, you know, a term I've been socializing and, and really using for many years, which is return on impact. What impact does this effort or does this investment or does this innovation have over time on society, on communities, on individuals to, um, to really um, expand um, life possibility um, and, and really more interconnected understanding amongst us all? Oh, so amazing. I knew you were going to be wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to talk about So it's, it's, it's really interesting because I think there really is something really um, unique about the art of storytelling, but also the ability to actually get those stories told. So it would be really awesome to just kind of talk about your two roles right now and how those sort of intersect. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I've been very lucky throughout my career um, to be supported and to be very involved um, with various foundations and leadership opportunities. In 2015, I was part of a, a first cohort of uh, just film fellows at the Ford Foundation and really identifying social impact storytellers and leaders um, who were who critical in the field. At the time, I was working at Tribeca Film Institute, um, which um, in a role where I oversaw their film residency and teaching program, tried to back the teachers. So we would actually have filmmakers, many of them who, who sort of progressed through the festival experience and institute experience, placed in schools and in incarcerated spaces, sometimes hospitals, helping community members to tell stories and then produce these uh, screenings and community activations throughout um, the city, throughout the festival, and, and sometimes right um, on Rikers Island. And so these, um, this sort of social change uh, sort of mission invested in uh, community members through the act of storytelling was very visceral, was very clear, and, and really led to, I think, a shared appreciation and um, a seeing, a mutual seeing of community members, some who didn't have sort of the civilian access um, as they were, you know, part of incarcerated uh, settings. And so that that work for me um, <clears throat> during uh, my time at Tribeca and, um, and really sort of sewing into my own um, passions and expertise and experiences throughout my career at that point really led me to create Overstand. And Overstand um, really functions as a capital introduction unit. Uh, and we have a, a, a film finance platform that launched the following year in 2016 at the Urban World Film Festival. Um, so seeing the threading through of all these organizations coming together, but um, had the chance to go back to my uh, my mentor and first boss ever, Gabrielle Glor, who was leading Urban World at the time, and pilot this um, this experience, which connected filmmakers to investors directly. And at that time, one of the supporters um, was HBO and their 150 initiative, um, so that we were introducing artists who um, who had tremendous careers who putting forward ideas as a proof of concept and pitching, not in competition with one another, but rather pitching for the excellence and the support uh, of the investor panel to, uh, to move their projects further along. 
So within five years of presenting that film pitch panel, we've supported over 15 artists. They've had close to $100,000 in proof of concept support, um, acquisition through HBO Max, and really more importantly and intently, a community of filmmakers who are being supported not only financially, but um, creatively and really working in a community of practice. And so myself and uh, a lot of the amazing uh, partners who come from every aspect of um, brand work, advertising, finance, of course, VCs and um, studios and media companies have a chance to really take a stand for these artists in a real um, intangible way. And so um, Overstand, you know, operates with the, the very clear uh, thesis that if we do provide a pathway between artists and investors, um, great stories and storytellers will emerge. And so that was um, sort of a, a very exciting part of um, my career where I was supported by a foundation, came up with an idea, and that idea was the seed of ultimately leading me to Urban World in my current role as Chief Innovation Officer. Um, I uh, joined uh, in April of 2022. I'd previously been running strategy and partnerships at a tremendous international film academy called Ghetto Film School, which is based in, uh, yeah, New York, LA, and London. And, And while I was there, it was clear to me that, you know, one of the opportunities that still um, was, you know, still full of runway was distribution. And so Urban World, as a film festival supporting diverse artists and content creators, hosting an innovation summit, really just felt like the right move. And um, being able to inherit that from, you know, one of my, uh, you know, veteran mentors and um, and dear friends um, and work in the spirit of an independent um, lens where, uh, you know, filmmakers are being supported inclusively by inclusive leadership just felt like uh, a tremendous gift to be able to expand on the work of Overstand, the work of my career, which is, again, really about closing that gap for artists and, and for partners and supporters um, and to to really also introduce new uh, aspects of innovation. And so, you know, we we are connected, Laura, through Karen Kala, who's a tremendous light. We actually were able to partner this year and uh, bring to Urban World the first ever fintech pitch competition, which Visa supported and powered. They were presenting partner of the festival, and uh, we saw five amazing entrepreneurs, fintech entrepreneurs pitch uh, for funding support, uh, which there was $50,000 in support that went to three different um, fintech founders, all of them men of color. And so um, it is tremendously rewarding for me to think about innovating uh, through storytelling in a space that introduces new opportunities for filmmakers. Filmmakers and storytellers have as much to learn and access from the visas of the world and the fintech founders of the world um, as, as, as we all do, but specifically what we can support at Urban World and as um, leaders in storytelling is helping even those 
fintech entrepreneurs to tell a better story about their work and the application of it. So really was um, a tremendous effort. And uh, in that partnership in, in uh, presenting the fintech pitch competition, uh, we worked with Visa to create a brand doc that looked at an amazing filmmaker named Kelly Kala. Kelly um, is a phenomenal USC graduate, uh, outstanding director, and really give a vignette of her life on set and how she uses Visa and, and sort of payment, digital payment systems to make films and, you know, be a complete boss on set. So there's a way that storytelling um, can connect to all of these culturally relevant systems that um, on its face aren't traditionally for women or for people of color or for anyone in particular outside of the stories that we develop to make them relevant and make them vital and important. You know, one, I love, love, love what you're doing. And it's so necessary and so important. And I, I absolutely love the fact that the blending of the two, like fintech and storytelling, just is so necessary. But also how they helping folks figure out how to get through that block, which is oftentimes the funding, to get those stories told. So I'm guessing that with all the success you've had, you've probably had some probably pretty challenging uh, situations along the way. So I'd love for you to kind of maybe pick one from your uh, experience of a challenge where you're like, there's no way I'm going to be able to figure this all out. And then you did. Wow. Well, so so many challenges, but you know, um, you know, one one that does um, sort of stand out to me um, is one that I think everyone in the world can connect to, which is um, more recently looking uh, at this period that we've all come through uh, as COVID set in, everyone being remote and um, truly leading a team and leading. Um, the advancement of creative process during a time where the world literally stops. And one specific example, um, and I'm thinking of it just as the Freeze Art Fair comes together, one of our partnerships um, while I was at the Ghetto Film School was a collaboration with uh, Deutsche Bank and the Freeze Art Fair, a phenomenal um, world-class art fair that takes place in New York, L.A., and London, same sort of uh, geographies that uh, Ghetto Film School operated in. And uh, just so happens in the middle of, you know, I think the second season of our film award, we are conducting a, uh, a fellowship helping to get um, not only equipment, but financing into uh, filmmakers' hands to make short films that would compete for a grand prize. Um, you know, we are without the ability to be together. And so, you know, I think the quick shift in transition to thinking not only about how we operate virtually, but how do we really commune and bring together artists in practice and, um, and celebration as well during times where we really need to be apart. And um, we would traditionally host a uh, a film screening as well as a uh, sort of an award ceremony. And we decided, and this was against all odds, that we were going to do it in a COVID safe way. And we actually um, 
you know, because we're based in LA, decided to convene everyone at a Soho house. You know, we'd have all the PPP, we'd be, you know, masked and safe. We had jurists piping in on Zoom from Germany and from UK and, you know, even locally in LA, really um, fabulous assortment of uh, people gathered to not only celebrate, but announce the film award winners. In that moment, there's the big challenge. Uh, apparently there was a fiber optic line that was cut. So imagine in our hybrid world, we have no oh my God. internet, That's right? There. <laughs> so, um, major challenge and and also just an ongoing reality of the hybrid lives that we all live so um you know being a strategist and a producer i had thought of plan a b c and d um and just working with the most phenomenal producers um we got very um creative and crafty and literally linked together a production set with mobile uh mobile technology and Wi-Fi. So everything that happened, you know, remember when we all saw the Oscars and they were like hybrid and people are sort of in a studio and, you know, we did our best version of that camera crews, Zoom, all powered and connected by mobile Wi-Fi. Um, so a big shout out to, you know, Apple and to um, just literally, I, I think the the power of mobile um, mobile technology to allow us to still communicate. So a lot of iPhones, a lot of uh, Wi-Fi hacking, um, but mm-hmm. no been there, done that. Uh, yep, and I and I, I love I love this story because at the end of the day, what mattered most was that we had the artists at the center. The one sort of um, priority that we had. Yes, we could you know, we could fly in jurists from all over the world. We wouldn't do that in the middle of a pandemic. But if we could safely gather artists at the center so that they could finally meet one another after Zooming for months, making their films in, you know, isolation on COVID-proof sets, um, at the very least, we could all safely gather and bring those artists together. And so I think, you know, what I take away from that is mission first always right and and in the work of supporting artists means typically you do everything possible to get them the resources the financing the tools the space they need and then you get out of their way and so exactly. after we finally hacked this whole you know hybrid award ceremony a la oscars 2021 um we we did just that, you know, everyone was out on the terrace and just the, the ability to see um, artists support one another, love on one another, um, regardless of who the winners were. It was just a major win to have artists at the center and in community and to be celebrated. Oh, awesome. And oh, I, I, I was having heart palpitations because all I know what that Wi-Fi situation is like. <laughs> yes. We all know. <laughs> I, I, have, I, have, I have had together Wi-Fi in some of the most unusual locations in the world. <laughs> and yes. uh, it, it is very much the MacGyvering of it all. Uh, so then they're done that. But the cool thing is, that, like, you know, whenever you do anything with events, you have one shot to make it right. And come a hell or high water, you will make it right. That is uh, right. 
And the folks who have no idea all the madness it took to get to this pretty stage where y'all have a little time, and underneath is being held together with duct tape and prayer. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 100% understand. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, um, looking back on what you've, what you've done, what do you think you'd probably tell, like, 18-year-old Cherise? You know, when I, when I was 18, I definitely um, feel like I had a similar confidence that I have today, um, which is, you know, always optimistic, forward always. And, you know, my 18-year-old self was moving very quickly. I was always thinking globally, you know, um, really deep into my career vision of myself. So I would tell my 18-year-old self to um, to stop and smell the roses sometimes. You know, I think often the pause um, that we create for ourselves in life can be the most beneficial time. And so, you know, at 18, I was very much, um, you know, again, out on that um, venture in that trajectory to be a media mogul, to always take on more um, and really never stopped in my tracks to realize how much I had accomplished, even by the age of 18. So I would I would sort of give myself a, a gentle nudge of grace and say, you know, definitely stop and smell the flowers, take a breath and um, and and reflect, take a pause um, and remember that that those moments are sometimes the most valuable moments. Um, it's not about having the most packed minute by minute schedule um, and, and the value of those packed schedules only become more pronounced and more powerful when you do stop, pause and reflect. It's so important because it's like, yeah, it was, look, it's part of the impetus of why I do the series every year. And, and I make it completely agnostic to what industry folks are in because it's like, take a second, look up and realize how fabulous you are. Uh, we are oftentimes so deeply in those trenches that we don't get a chance to look up and see around and be like, holy, this is amazing. I did all this. Uh, so it, it's so, so very, very true. Um, and it's important to do that because also, like, there is something affirming about the fact that when you can look back and see like all the things that you've done and be like, oh, I'm gonna arch my shoulders back, I can put my head up high, and you know what? Yeah, I am good at this. I can't think of this next crazy challenge because look at all the other stuff I've done in the past. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and you know, you know, one thing I I have, have had a time, and I think we all have, sort of really um, reevaluating what's valuable, right? And time is so valuable. Time spent with oneself is always undervalued and underrated, right? And um, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a board member, I'm on several boards, um, the board of ITVS, which is a tremendous partner to filmmakers across public media. I'm a trustee at the Frick Collection, which is a phenomenal old master's museum here in New York. Um, I just joined as a leadership fellow at Lincoln Center. I'm tremendously proud of that work um, that I do and, and put a lot of time into public life and public service, uh, particularly when it comes to the arts and culture. And um, what I found throughout my life enduringly is that it's 
most often beneficial to stop and take reflection time when you are in these amazing spaces and you do have those seats at the table or you're building your own table. It's really um, the, the ability to think, to reflect, to be grateful, and and also, also to um, have a time to play and to imagine and to truly think and vision into the future. And sometimes we uh, we can get in our own way by going from task to task, goal to goal, meeting to meeting. Um, a lot of great value and breakthrough comes through in, in the pause. So, so very, very true. And speaking of the taking time to play, Cerise, what do you do for yourself here? Oh, wow. Well, I, I love to... Um, I love to meditate. Meditation is a big part of my self-care, taking time in the morning um, to do breath work, to um, practice just mindfulness and envisioning. Um, And if I'm really on focus in the evening as well, and I find that that time is tremendously helpful in um, clearing clearing my thoughts, clearing my path, and also being open to a lot of um, opportunity to connect to um, larger vision and plans. Um, I love uh, to travel. Um, Travel is a great form of self-care for me, even if it's a local, uh, local trip, really being curious and visiting new places and new things. Um, and that brings me great joy and is a form of self-care to always see things anew. Um, and, you know, recently it's been, um, as a parent, more time of travel with my daughter and my family together. But um, when I can take a solo trip, that is, to me, a very great form of self-care um, to be in, in enjoyment with myself in a new place and new setting. Uh, and um, I also love to read and I love to write poetry. Um, and those are ways that, you know, if I am able to dedicate time to those practices, I feel very full and very nurtured. I love that. And I, I mean, I think that's, it's so important to do that. Those creative outlets mean so much. We must do them. Yes, especially working with creative people because it it is a it is a practice and it is a um, it's an enduring practice to be able to connect to creative process um, through your own experience as well. Being in creative practice yourself helps you connect to other creative people and um, and creative practices and processes. So. It is, it is a way that you in parallel are taking care of your own self and your own thoughts, but also a pathway for you to connect to how other artists and creators um, practice and progress in, in, their, in their gifts. It's so true. It's funny because, like, you know, similarly, I sit in a creative field every single day and I find myself like, OK, what other kind of funky creative things should I be doing to like as another outlet for me? <laughs> and I'm like, haven't figured that out yet, but I will because um, I, I know it's so very important. Now, last question for you. Do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? 
Yes. Um, well, I would love to um, give uh, to the audience um, a a quote. Um, and, you know, this is a quote that I've come back to and, and I hopefully won't um, won't completely uh, undo it. But um, it is uh, really in in the vein of how we make people feel. Um, and, uh, this is, uh, you're often, uh, people often forget, um, what you've said. People often forget what you've done, but, um, people always remember the way you made them feel. And so I, I believe that, um, you know, the gift of being present is one that we all can embrace. We all have the ability to give it, to gift it. Um, And particularly in times as we are in now, um, to really um, be compassionate, be empathic, and to create space to be present with one another. Um, That that is something I like to give to whomever wants to receive it. Um, And... I would love for um, for everyone in the audience to check out urbanworld.org. Uh, we have a tremendous festival ahead today, February 1st, admission, uh, submissions are open. Uh, it is a 27-year-old legacy festival and innovation experience um, that I'm proud to say I was at the very first version of this festival. It's how I learned to festival and look um, to creators as um, true healers and um, just gifts to our culture and um, ways that storytelling can can truly um, shift the way we experience life. And so, you know, in my experience over the years and now um, at the helm of Urban Worlds, I'd love to um, invite you all to um uh, Check out our, our festival. Um, tell filmmakers you know about it. Um, come visit us in New York City, November 1st through 5th. Save the date. Mark your calendar. Uh, and if you are a creator or know a creator, um, encourage them to submit. Awesome. Absolutely. We will put all the details in the show notes. It is such an incredible festival. You must, must come. Um, and Sharice, it has been such a delight talking to you. Oh my gosh. You're such a welcome. Oh just my goodness. Goodness. Thank you. Good, great information and just light and like it's such a uniquely beautiful perspective. And, and you're doing a damn thing. So I am so honored that you were able to be part of 29 Days of Magic. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much. It's such an honor and delight to be a part of this experience. And congratulations to you for creating this space and um, shining the light on so many um, amazing voices and and efforts and merits in our community. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so for more details, check our show notes about all the amazing things that Sharice is working on these days. And as I said, it's part of 29 Days of Magic. And... That is our show.